It's not often we get a Chicago broadcasting legend to uh, be on the show, and whenever we do, we're very excited. We've got one today, a sportscaster, Rich King, known to all of Chicago, and he's got some great stories that all of America will enjoy. Uh, his brand new book, Ike and Me, is just come out, and we'll talk to him about that and some of the great stories from his sportscasting career. Uh, but first, listen to this other fine old pie show. All right, Adam, what uh, country are you from? I am from England. What is the best soccer league in the entire world? The English Premier League. What is your day job? Director of coaching for Illinois Youth Soccer. So if you were, say, a fan of English Premier League and you wanted to hear the, the opinions of someone who is from England, who knows a lot of soccer, what podcast would you tell people they need to listen to free kicks with adam and rick and that's on the radio misfits podcast network free kicks a tony lasano podcast opi show on the radio misfits podcast network great talk radio isn't dead it just moved to a better place radiomisfits.com the following is a tony lasano podcast an opi show on the radio misfits podcast network this is the minutia man celebrity interview with rick and dave all right rich king is on the line old friend former radio and television star in chicago bbm news radio bbm channel 2 wgn channel 9 we we published his second book back in the game about seven years ago, but now he's got a brand new book, and it, it is getting fantastic reviews. It's called Ike and Me, What a Time It Was. Rich, why don't you tell everybody who Ike is and what inspired <laughs> you to write this book? We'll just get get it right out here at the at, All right, the well, I'd say, if, yeah, it's a good question to begin with because it is, actually was Ike and I were having dinner at Volari in Chicago about a year and a half ago, and actually a year ago in the summer, and... Uh, I posted a picture. I don't, you know, I don't post much on Facebook, but I do post occasionally. And I posted a picture of me and Ike, um, and I got a tremendous response to it. And he was my cameraman for 26 years at WGN, and we we covered God, how many Bears games together? I don't know, almost every, all, almost all of them. Yeah. And uh, we became very good friends. And people urged me on that Facebook to uh, write a book about it, because they knew we had a, we were kind of a we were like a crew in the, in the business that people, you know, uh, related to, cause we were kind of off the wall at times and we did crazy stuff. So, so I thought, well, that's, you know, instead of writing a memoir in my life, which every broadcaster does, and I thought I'm going to, I didn't had no interest in writing a memoir about my career, but I did have some interesting stories about my career. So I thought, well, you know, what? I'll write a book about Ike and our relationship. Cause I was raised in a very racist environment in Chicago and Pilsen. And here I was working with a black guy for 26 years. We became good friends. And uh, so it was an interesting story, his story and my, we, I juxtaposed them. And then uh, we got into that, the last half of the book is just me and him working together and fighting the obstacles and becoming close friends. So uh, that's that's the uh, origin of the book. Yeah, a lot of great stories in there about your relationship with Ike. Yeah. And how he almost killed you, but we're not going to tell. We're not going to tell the the story about you almost dying in Pittsburgh because everybody has to read the, buy the book to get that one. Right, exactly. That's right. Don't tell the ending. Yeah. Yes. But you've got great stories about Ike, um, like the time he ran, left the car running in Philadelphia. Uh, you yeah. Know, so yeah. tell us, tell us a little bit about that and any other stories that you wanted. Well, I, I, Ike was, you know, Ike's a man, a, a man who does his own thing. Basically, he's he. Uh, 
He's a he's a crazy driver. He uh, he doesn't like cones and, and blocking him off from roads. <laughs> Wait, did you <laughs> say like cones that. or cones? Cones. <laughs> yeah. Those those yellow yeah. cones. You mean those optional? Buys, those optional yeah, yeah. cones. Yeah. Yeah. If he sees a yellow cone, he's he's just angry looking. <laughs> so, so and and uh, but he he saved me many times driving that way, especially in New York when we're coming to Bulls one time. But uh, no, I, 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 he always winds up on the right side of things, you know. He'll have a camera go out and he'll find another camera somewhere. He'll have a light go out and he'll find a light. Uh, he'll miss the first quarter or half of a game and nothing's going on. So he always winds up. In this case in Philadelphia, now I was not with him for this one, but he uh, they, they show up for a night game against the Eagles. The Bears are playing out there and parked the car on the lot around 3.30 and then, you know, did the whole game. Nine hours later, they 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 emerged from the, uh, the the park. They did their live shots and everything, and fed, fed the stuff in, all the tape. And Ike's walking along. <laughs> he said, "I got no. I can't find my keys to the car." So as they approached the car, uh, the crew he was with uh, looked at the car and says, "There's the car. It was the car was the door was open on the passenger side. The car had been running for nine hours." <laughs> and all somebody had to do was get in that car and take off, and that would be the end of it. Nobody did. It was the door was open for nine hours. The car was running with the key in it, and nobody took the car. And Ike, Ike charges, runs to the car, gets in it, and he looks at the guy. And says, "You won't believe this. So there's a quarter of a tank of gas left in here. <laughs> That's good mileage." So, so he, he always winds. He, he always wound up on the right side of things, and uh, uh, and it's an amazing. All the people I talked to about him, I interviewed a lot of people about him for this book. All his colleagues and camera guys, and they all said the same thing. Dan Rowan said the same thing. Ike. He had a he had a, a rabbit's foot with him or something. It always worked, you know. So so you're in Philadelphia where they where they throw snowballs at Santa Claus and nobody stole the car. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody nobody took the car. Now, one time he left the the car. All of his, his he had a van. He left the back, the back of the van swung open all night long. And we got the next morning and after breakfast, we're walking toward the car. And he said, "You believe this? All this expensive stuff was in the car. Nobody even bothered." Me. So. He, uh, that's that's Ike. That's that's my my guy, and he uh, we're together for twenty. He's a, he, you know, he's a great guy. Though. You know, people think he's a rough guy, and he is because he's kind of kind of can come across that way. But he's got a heart of gold, and uh, if he if he gets to know you and you get to know him, and you, and 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 you you were in the trenches with him like I was for twenty six years, it's a rock solid relationship, and we were loyal to each other. We covered each other's back, so. Became 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 very close. We talked about kind of the book. I put a myriad of things we talked about yeah. in the course of our of our time together. Well, you know, I love that. I love when you uh, retail uh, your conversations, but I also love you know when you talk about how tough he was in, in a in a very competitive environment. When you have to get a shot, when you have when you've got eighteen other cameramen all going for the same thing, you need right. your guy to be able to make sure that he gets it. And and according to you in the book, he, he never missed it, did he? No, I, I thrived on that. You know, uh, Bob Jordan said the same thing because Bob worked with him for a, a long time too in news. And Ike, Ike's forte is aggressiveness. He gets the shot. I mean, we had a shot one time of Erlacher, and, and there were, he wasn't talking for a while, and we had to, get, had to get him at that particular time. And his locker was in, in the Soldier Fields. You know, there must have been 25, 30 crews around it with big cameras. And somehow Ike found a way in there, and he—that's what he does. He—he—he he, he lo- he loves, he loves the the, uh, the adrenaline of the of the of the deadline. He loves the action. He loves chasing interviews. 
He loved chasing the bulls all over the place when we were in New York. He he just he just drives on it. Now, if you send him to, as Bob Jordan said, if you send him downtown to, to do a Picasso exhibit at the Art Institute or something, you may not get a good tape <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because, because he's not into that kind of thing. You, you may have you may have trouble, but but it's in terms of action, and he he loves it, and that's what he thrives on. Well, yeah, you mentioned the bulls, and uh, you know that's the thing about your career. Uh, Rich is you saw it all uh, here in Chicago and and you were there for a, just a great time to be a sports uh, reporter and the Bulls championship run probably had to be one of the top things that you saw but the thing that I find interesting that I think the readers will find interesting is that your take on that whole last dance documentary is very different than the documentary came out with the, the, the uh, right uh, why don't you talk about how you think they got it wrong. Well, I don't, I don't know how they got it wrong. And I'll tell you, my sources, uh, keep in mind at that point in my career, I was at the prime of my career. I had sources everywhere. Tom Sher and I worked for BBM radio. We had <laughs> together, we had tons of sources. We broke more stories than I think had a radio crew alive. But, but in that case, I had great, I had sources in both sides. I mean, I had, I had several sources on, on the field level and also in the front office and stuff. And I, and the, the story I pieced together, which was not based, not based on me speculating or me thinking about it, it's based on what the people who were, who were involved with it told me, who I tr- trusted were good sources. And that is, there are no villains in that thing. They painted Jerry Cross to be the villain in that piece. And I, and I took exception to that because, yeah, Cross was not a very affable guy. He was a tough guy to talk to sometimes. Sometimes he'd ignore you. He's not a, he was not a very personable guy. I mean, we talked a lot. Uh, then the next day he wouldn't talk talk to me. I'm just, it was that kind of guy he was. You had to understand him. However, you see what you want about him personally. They may not like the guy, but he he didn't break that thing up. Phil Jackson was the, was in a point in his life where he had personal issues, and and he didn't he couldn't do one more year, and and he needed a rest. And and I, hey, he deserved it. The guy won six titles. You know, I I'm not blaming Phil Jackson for wanting a rest. But I don't think, and then Jordan plus Jordan had her, her, uh, clipped his finger on a cigar, mm-hmm. cutting a cigar, and and a guy in the front. Uh, I, I was told that the last year of the championship, Ron, he he barely made it through that year. But only Michael Jordan's great athletic ability allowed him to fight off knee injuries and, and get through that last uh, part of the three peat. So all those factors combined led me to believe that you know uh, Kraus would not have broken up that team. Now did he want to? Maybe he did. But I think if they if they had wanted to come back, and I know Jerry Reisdorf, I think so too. I think they would have had them all back. Now whether they had won it again, I don't know. But I, I thought the documentary was off base on that. In other words, I don't know. I, you know, they made Kraus to be the villain he was not. Uh, there are no, there are no villains. And why not? You know, if you do a documentary too, why don't you do it on on the success they had? I mean, they had a great six year six title deal, and you know Jordan was the best player alive. So it, it could have been a, a, instead of the last dance, it could have been you know a great dance, <laughs> right? In my opinion, but that's that's so I I, I kind of straighten that out, and I still I still cling to those those sources because I don't I don't think they were wrong. I think those people had it right. I think Phil Jackson just couldn't make it, and I'm not blaming Phil because he's a great coach and he did a great job, but I don't think he could have done one more year. Yeah, it's got to take a ton of toll. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, love the care. I mean, certainly all the characters that that you not only talk about in the book that you've met, but I'm not sure there's anybody that's more of a character than Jimmy Pearsall, you know, and you tell a, I love the, the, the uh, Jimmy Pearsall stories. Can you tell us a couple of quick Jimmy stories from the book? 
Well, Jimmy, Jimmy was the kind of guy that, you know, no, the players, first of all, the players didn't like him because he's always critical of, of the players. And, and La Russa, they, they, nobody cared for him in, in that regard. Now, I was, <laughs> I was the fourth guy in the broadcast team, and it was Harry, Jimmy, Joe, and me, Joe McConnell. And Glenn Rosenbaum, who was the trainer, or was the uh, traveling secretary and also batting practice pitcher, he, he was in charge of the airline. And back then, we flew commercial. There was no charter. So uh, I had to sit next to Pearsall because nobody else wanted to sit next to him. So <laughs> hey, I, Rich, I, you I, sit next to that guy. <laughs> yeah. So, But, you know, it was, it was surreal, uh, guys, because I, I my first game ever at the, in seeing a ballpark was in 1956. I saw the Sox play Boston. And Jimmy Pearsall was a center fielder. Hmm. And, wow. and Ted Williams is in left. And here I am now. At age 33, sitting next to this guy, who I grew up watching, he was a great center fielder, and he he's very knowledgeable about the game. Uh, but here I wasn't, you know, so I was, I was kind of, kind of intimidating. But but I I got to know him real well. He was he and I became pretty good friends for a while because we'd hang around. He he jogged with me, and uh, I'll tell you one quick story though. He was Jimmy was athletes are very competitive, as you well know. Yes. And uh, he we're jogging along in Central Park in New York one day, and and. He said, "Man, my knee's killing me. You know, I, I, I got, I got to take a look at this thing." So I, that night, I happened to casually. Somebody asked me. I think Ken Cravick, one of the pitchers, asked me, "What'd you guys do today?" So, well, I jogged with Jimmy, and you know, he had a bad knee, and he's slowing down a little bit. So, so somehow, Whoops. it got back to Pearsall <laughs> that I, that I said he was, he was, you know, wasn't able to run too much or something, and he took exception to it. So the next day, we're, we're jogging, and he says, "See that tree over there?" And I said, what about the tree? He says, well, you know, I understand you were bad-mouthing me as a player. So I said, I wasn't bad-mouthing you. I just said, yeah, you a bad, you know, I, I don't care. You, nobody puts me down. He's got angry at me. And he says, that you're gonna, we're going to race to that tree. It's about 100 yards away. And, and, and you'll see how slow I am. So he says, I counted three. And I was 33 years old, and I was pretty fast. I mean, it was, I was a center fielder when I was younger, and I, I could still run. And uh, Pearsall was in his 50s. I said, well, I can, I can probably beat this guy, you know. <laughs> and he beat me. He wiped me out. I mean, he beat me by 10, 15 yards, you know? but, which, which only proves that you never, you know, as people, I put this in the book, too. People think they, you look at these professional athletes on TV and you, you criticize them. And, yeah, there's some of them, you know, obviously I do, too. But if you try to t- take your lot in action against a prof- professional athlete, you got, you got no chance, you know. I, I Larusa beat me twenty-one to two in racquetball. Pearsall <laughs> wiped me out, at, you know, at a run. And, and like, uh, Ed Farber, who I faced in American League, I never saw the pitch. It was so fast. Yeah. So, you know, these guys are light years ahead of us in terms of yeah. of, of athleticism. But Jimmy was a he was a he was a, a character, and and he I mean, it's problem with him is he didn't take his medication sometimes, and mm. and he, he you know he went a little screwy. And he admitted it afterwards, and he said, "I got to take the medication." But uh, he and I got along pretty good. I, 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 I'm sad that I didn't keep up with him after after I left the, the broadcast booth because uh, he was he was not a. I don't think Jimmy was a bad person. I think he just uh, lost it at times because of his his ailment. Well, he he, end, he didn't end on a very good note with the Cubs. Was it the Cubs that he landed? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I put that in the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, yeah, uh, he, we didn't really uh, talk about this uh, too much, but I. Harry Carey uh, is another person that was in that broadcast booth, right? right. The, the stories that you hear about Harry, you know, drinking in the booth and what have you, you were actually in the booth with him. Tell us right. the truth. 
Was there no, no, ever he, a time when a Budweiser made its way up into the broadcast booth? Oh, my God. More than, <laughs> what was it, at Falstaff? Was it? More than once, yeah. More, whatever Barry was pushing. I mean, he, uh, Harry was Harry. I mean, you, you, you look at the image he's got and all the, the hot bar hopping and stuff. That's, that was him. I mean, he, it was, he was not a phony. Now, I will say this. Pearsall, while I was in all Pearsall, when I did the games with Harry and I did color for Harry Carey, and I went, what, I said, what can I add to this guy? This guy's a legend, right? Right. So, but but he was a kind of intimidating at first. But he and I got along pretty well because because he, you know, I was no threat to him. I was the fourth guy on the team, and he he didn't have to worry about me, you know, trying to take over or anything. And he gave me a lot of great coaching, and uh, he was very nice to me. He told me his second year I was doing play by play, or you know, project, project, project. You're doing great, and he was very supportive. So, but he was. You know, if you, the stories I put in there were about his drinking, and his drinking was real. Yeah. Uh, I, I knew Dutchie, his wife, after he passed away, and, and she tells me the same stories. Bob Verde, if you, all, those, all those guys knew Harry. That was who he was, and he was not a phony. He was he actually he would he would go to one bar after the other, and he loved it, and that's that was his lifestyle. Yeah, but you, so of all the athletes that you covered, uh, probably you know. Let's put Michael Jordan out of the equation. But other than Michael Jordan, maybe the greatest athlete you ever saw, Walter Payton, right? No question. And and Walter Payton, the people that didn't know him, uh, had this other side to him. And that was he was just a complete prankster, wasn't he? He was. He was. Walter was a great guy. You know, and, and I put in the book that we had access to those guys on a, a pretty much a weekly basis. And we got to know him pretty well, even Michael, before – before baseball, especially, we got to know him real well, and that doesn't happen anymore. You you can't get close to these guys like we could, and uh, I got to know Walter real good. And in fact, uh, Jared, his son, worked for me as with me as WGN at the end of my career. Uh, but he was a wonderful person. He was a person. He was just a uh, prankster. He you know sent out cherry bombs in Ditka's card. He would uh, <laughs> pretend that he was a woman and, and call Ditka in the office and try to set up a date. <laughs> one, time he, one, one time he was i was walking up the stairs at, at the old hallis hall and he was on the he used to take calls from the fans yeah. he'd sit in the in the in the in the desk there where the uh reception area is and he'd answer the phone and send the receptionist and he's talking someone was on the phone he says hey rich king's coming up he said uh, he's from wbbm he says he's a good looking guy why don't you take him out he wants to go on a date. That was, of course, I was married to Maggie at the time. And I, I'm waving him off, you know, because right. I get his number. You know? See, that's the kind of guy he was. He was, he was, a, and after he retired, he, he talked to me and Ike on the sidelines for 15, 20 minutes. It was like we're buddies. I mean, and for a guy of that stature to be that down to earth, uh, that that's, and, and Jordan was too. I mean, Michael was, especially in the early years, he was great to us. He'd ask, how you, how you doing? How's GN doing? What's, what's new? And, these were genuine people. So we were very lucky to be, have that kind of access. And uh, Ditka, too. Ditka was a – I got Ditka stories in there that, uh, you know, I think people know about. But it, it, he's – these guys – when you rub shoulders with these guys, you, you really understand uh, yeah. the competitive nature of athletes and, and the and the desire for excellence. And these guys were at the top of their – I think Jordan – you know, I don't know. Jordan was an amazing athlete. I mean, the, thing, the things I saw him do on a basketball court – and I, I, I said in the book, the only one guy to compare to him to talk about LeBron and everybody, I don't think anybody, anybody comes close except for one guy, and that's Will Chamberlain, only because he set so many records and revolutionized the game when he played. But right. aside from that, and uh, Michael Jordan was 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 in a class by himself. 
Well, you mentioned Ditka. I shook his hand once, and his hand, uh, you know, was like the size of four of my hands. It was he had these gigantic. He was he was a big man. Uh, you don't really right. see that so much when he's on the sidelines amongst these other gigantic men. You did, know what I mean? Did right, did, right. did did Ditka comment on your baby soft hands? Right? Uh, no, <laughs> he did not. But he was probably thinking it. He was probably try, thinking. Hey, try hey try Jordan's hand. Yeah. Jordan's fingers are. I mean, I put him one time. I, I was looking at his fingers. I put him down on the bench, and they were like three inches longer than mine. He had these long fingers. Yeah, and uh, yeah, obviously controlled the ball better. So, so he uh, he, had, he he was a gift. That he, but he worked at it. You know. And Ditka, and, and he worked hard in strength. And and Ditka, <laughs> there was no, you know, you could not pull out of him. Like any time he talked, if you pulled out early, you you were nuts because you missed the greatest. He he was the to me he was a, a kind of a Jackie Gleason kind of interview. Yeah. You, you never knew what you're going to get. It was always funny. And uh, I remember one time I'll, I'll I'll tell one quick Ditka story, and that involves Jeannie Morris. Uh, Bob Hillman used to be an uh, anchor on Channel Nine and. Bob would ask these off the wall questions about you know all not not related to football and and Ditka would Ditka would answer them and and we're funny you know yeah and so we start using them all the time and naturally he's a Monday news conference so Ditka laughing and you know and so after about months of this Ditka finally got angry one day and he he said to the point he said I, you know I I hear you guys every time I talk all this funny stuff he said I don't hear much about football you know and he says why don't you talk about football I said and Jeannie Morris said, "But Mike, you're you're, you're funny." And and Dick goes, "Well, fine, fine, fine." He says, "I'll take some cards out every week here. We'll have some card tricks. I'll tell a few jokes, <laughs> have, have a couple of beers, and we'll go home." Uh, <laughs> and, that's, and, I, and, and in doing that, he gave us the same kind of bite that he didn't want to give us. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, a funny bite. Yeah. You know? The other thing I like about your book is it. Uh, it goes into the broadcasting business and some of the stories go way, way back uh, to your earliest days. And uh, the one that I think people are going to read and go, whoa, is uh, something that happened at WGN radio with Franklin McCormick, who is uh, right. like a well-known, well, tell everybody who he was. A lot of the younger listeners probably don't know. Well, Franklin McCormick was a legend at his time. He had a great voice. I mean, like it was like syrup. He just, wonderfully low voice and he, he 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 got a niche he he got a niche with doing romantic readings over music uh you know big band music and and uh orchestra music and some broadway hits and so he he he'd have music playing and he'd say how do i love thee you look so beautiful by a fireplace your your, your gown is excellent as your, your radiant your face is wait radiant. a second you, you know what you've got a career in this i <laughs> wait, think right there's an opening <laughs> and there's, he, a, there's an opening rich and he, and he used to so he, he got this niche and it, it been very successful and he, he was on the air like from midnight to 5 a.m which is you know people are people are sleeping or coming home from a tough night or whatever <laughs> he's on the air doing these romantic readings and after a while, I got him at the end of his career. He was kind of uh, in the last couple of years. He all these discs, all the all his readings were on discs, on vinyl discs. So the record turner would just put these things on, you know, and and uh, he'd sit back and had a. He always had a drink. He always had. Whenever I delivered the news to him, I was a news writer at that time. He would have a drink, and he'd have pizzas in there and popcorn. He mentioned something on the air, and a guy would send him something, you know. It was a restaurant. So he, he had a real good deal. And one time I went up there, I think it was 2 a.m. or whatever, a newscast, and uh, 
the uh, I the whole place was dark. And I, I'm stumbling around trying to find it. I found the door and I, all I could see was the little red lights on the console in the, in the control room. And I got in there and I opened the door and I smelled popcorn and I, I, I heard a projector. And and I heard Franklin over one of his discs saying, uh, true love means so much. You know, and, 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 and on the wall, there was a porn flick. So, so I, 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 and he hated doing the news. He hated doing the news. And he said, "Time for the damn news." And he and he shut the flick off. And and it, it was all those old fashioned. It was a kind of, you know, what do you call a soft deal? It wasn't. It wasn't like uh, it was today. But uh, we, we, we wouldn't I, know I, what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, I got in there. I got in there. He he he, he always ripped the company for, for not hiring a newsman overnight. You know, because he did had to read the news, and he was just awful at reading the news. He 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 had the scotch and. At five o'clock in the last newscast he did, many times he had hiccups. He he he, he was drinking all night and, and and he couldn't get through the cast. He you're he, like uh in Viet, Vietnam Vietnam today. And I, it was just one hiccup after the other, and uh, it, it was and some of the stuff he did was, was was off the wall. But you know, and I said at the end of that chapter, I said you know those guys those guys were that era, those booth announcers they had great voices. And when they read your copy, it was, it was, it was, they, they had hammered at home. They yeah. were good guys. The voice of God. Yeah. Yeah. They, they had, Franklin was a character though. And, and he, uh, he, he, but he was a legend and, uh, and I, I'm not, he, he, he was there in, in the golden age of, of radio. Well, there, there's a, there's a ton more stories we could ask you about, but you know, people got to read the book too. Yeah. There's, there's, you know, broadcasters. There's a lot of great stories about your old friend Brad Palmer in there, uh, which I, I highly recommend. And you know, virtually every Chicago legend in terms of uh, broadcasting and also in uh, in sports, they're all in right. the book. And it's getting great reviews. It's it tackles issues like race that you were talking about with Ike, and it's. Like we're really proud to mm-hmm. to uh, publish this thing. It's 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 a it's a great job, Rich. Well, I appreciate your guys' help. You got Rick and have been outstanding with me for both books. Actually, you guys are sensational. And Chicago guys and Chicago book, although it does have a I saw somebody recently it does have a, a, a national flair to it because I think we're you know I you know the story of a black guy and a white guy being coming friends is not exactly new. There's better stories than ours I can mine, but. You know, throw one more log in the fire of, of unity, and and, and say well, these two guys got along, and they became friends. And and uh, I I kind of Chicago background. I did, of course. I grew up in a in a racist neighborhood, but uh, it, it it's a story about how I overcame it. I'm going to college and learning about people and learning about the truth of life, and and uh, I shook it off. And 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 I think there's a lesson in that. And I and I, I thought about this many times. You know, I put. I put my my late wife Maggie. I put her her life out there, eighty five percent of it anyway, in a book called My Maggie. And I put my life out there in this book. And I think uh, in the in the in the closing chapter, I mentioned Jackie Robinson's line about the only value of a life is the effect it has on other lives. Mm-hmm. And when you come down to it, in the end of your life, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm getting close to that. No, <laughs> come, come on. You, now. You, you look like you're you, 40. Uh, yeah, let's race. <laughs> let's race. Yeah. <laughs> when, you come, when you come down to it, that's what it is. If you, so, I'm sharing. I shared my knowledge about what I learned about beating racism, and and also about the business a little bit. And I think people 
you know, maybe can get something from that. And that's that's the only reason that I, I, I wrote this book. And and the reason my Maggie was the, the same thing. That book helped so many people. Mm. And if some people, you know, can learn from this and understand what I went through and and and, and realize that racism, you know, is obviously an evil to be. There's no compromise on it. You can't be halfway. You, you are yeah, not. there's no, there's very few kind of racists. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Racism. Yeah, no, yeah, white. Yeah. Yeah. There's no good. Yeah. No good racist. So yeah. when you get to, when you got to, when I got to college and figured it all out and I thought what 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 a what a nonsense that was drilled into as a kid, you know about these people. I said this is ridiculous. So I I think people can can relate to that. And I and I know a lot of people in the old neighborhood I was in were in the same boat I was in. And it's funny, you know, two. Two of the people I knew from the old neighborhood, when they got older, they were they were racist as, as when I was a kid, and their and their daughters and and sons, you know, dated black people, and they became non-racist. Yeah, because they got to learn they got to learn that it's all nonsense. You're all people, and I think and Ike and I never saw. Each, believe me, we we talked about race, and obviously we we were black and white, but at the end of it, we did, we're just two guys doing the job, right? And and talking about life. That's that's what we did, and, and that's. That's hopefully that'll someday this country will evolve into that and we don't have to worry about this nonsense anymore. Hold that thought. We have to take a break. Minutia Men Celebrity Interview will be right back. Quick, Lou, what's your favorite car color? I'd say Lou likes blue. Lou likes blue? Eh, blue's pretty good, but really I prefer silver. But regardless of our color preferences, when it comes to cars, you'll never know what you'll hear on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon. I'm Lou Costable. Join us for the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Silver. Really? Silver? Back to our guest on Minutia Man Celebrity Interview. Well, thanks for being on the show, Rich. And this people are going to see you. You're going to be everywhere over the next couple of weeks. Um, but they should go to EckhartsPress.com. Get a copy of the book and then follow along uh, and, and find out what, where, what other great stories are in there. And it's like an endless supply of great stories. So thank you very much, Rich. Thanks, buddy. Well, guys, I really appreciate your backing on this book. And uh, thank you so much for your help. No, really no problem. We, we, All right. Very proud of it, Rich. Have a All good right, one. Thanks. See you. All right. Bye. The great Rich King. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. We're distributed by Ed Silla with Radio Misfits. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, radiomisfits.com. And we'll be back again soon with another episode of Minutia Men Celebrity Interview. The proceeding was a presentation of Opie Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? We are the hosts of Minutia Men. I'm Rick Kempfer. And I'm Dave Stern. I'm German. I'm Jewish. I have three sons. I have three daughters. I'm a Cubs fan. I'm a Sox fan. I have hair. Minutia Men and Old Pie Show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. <coughs>